Thank you, man. Church family, you're looking good today. Looking good. I brought a brand new shirt, wore my brand new shirt for this. Amber got it for me for my birthday. It says Ben's Jesus. So I was like, man, this is a good opportunity to wear that shirt. So anyway, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Brandon and Pastor Greg and um, the elders, church leadership. This is a this is a big thing for a pastor to just say, hey, you know what? Why don't I give you this pulpit for a Sunday? Because he is responsible for shepherding over this flock, right? And so to do that is, is it's a big thing. It's a big deal. So I don't take that lightly. I'm so thankful that he, uh, that he is uh, uh, mentoring me and uh, helping me walk along this path. And I want to thank you, Gathering Family, for giving me this opportunity and, and that opportunity last, last year during COVID when I spoke at Pop-Up Church and just to walk along with me as I figure out how to walk in this calling that God has put on my life. So I want to thank you so much for that and uh, thank my family. My wife, Amber, and two of our kids are sitting over here. Man, I tell you what, I, I don't know how she is married to me, to be honest, because it's, it takes so much patience and so much grace and kindness. And uh, we, were, we went out and voted the other day, just, just as a good example. Uh, we went out and voted the other day, and these two nice little old ladies are sitting there running the booth, you know, and, and I almost made it out of there safe. And this one lady said, so how long have you two been married? And like gives me that look right there. So what's this guy going to say? Is he going to get it right? And I look over at Amber. And she's like, well, how long have we been married? And I look over at the, uh, at the, uh, the court clerk or the county clerk. He had walked in there for uh, just to check things out. And he's like, I'm, I'm not involved in this. Don't look at me. Anyway, I came up with the right answer. 19 years. Come on now. We did it. Yeah. I can even go back, first date, first date, 9-11-2001, 20 years ago. So I kind of cheated. I kind of have a, a good reminder of that. But anyway, so um, yeah, we're going to talk about Jesus being greater than our shame today. Let me go back and uh, tell you guys about the first time I ever remember getting angry. And this is like a big time rewind. This, I was like eight, nine years old. And we had been out on our property. We lived out in the country at the time, and uh, we'd been on our property digging a drainage ditch. And uh, my grandpa was there, my stepdad was there, and a good family friend was there. And we had been working all day on this thing, and we had finished the project. We had ran a lot of water down this thing, because, I mean, you got to make sure the flow is right, you know. And uh, so we were just sitting there admiring, you know. Yeah, we men, we came out here, and we did this work. Yeah, the woman folk will be so thankful. Oh, man. Anyway, so uh, we're sitting there admiring this, and I get this bright idea. I'm going to show these guys what's up. So I lean over to the family friend there. It's like, uh, his name was Joe Edmondson. We called him Brother Joe. So anyway, I say, hey, Brother Joe, I bet I can jump that ditch. Oh, really? Yeah, well, why don't you just show us what you got there, youngin'? So I take off. I go sprinting full speed towards this thing. I plant my foot to jump. What happens? Right in the mud. Slipped out. I mean, I planted right in the middle of that ditch. I got all muddy. I got all wet. Of course, everybody starts laughing, right? I got up. I came up fighting mad. I started chasing people around the yard, like trying to kick them in the shins and all kinds of stuff. And that's the first thing I can, or first time I can remember being angry. But that's kind of natural for, for young people to kind of not have the experience to control emotions, right? But it was like a natural thing for me to just immediately 
get fighting mad. And I think back on that, I kind of wonder, well, why was that so natural, you know? And then uh, kind of like moving forward, and this is, this is after I'd given my heart to Jesus. Not the getting angry part, but this next story. It's the first time I said a curse word. Yeah, like I hope my mom doesn't watch this. So, um, man, I was, I was uh, playing on the football team. I was a freshman in high school, playing on the football team. I was out there on kickoff return because, you know, when you're a freshman going to varsity, you're never really good enough to play on varsity, but they throw you a bone every once in a while and let you play on kickoff. But anyway, so, uh, so that we're playing Luther, Oklahoma, and they kick off, and we turn around and we run back until our uh, receiving uh, – Wide receiver had caught the ball, and we turn around to form our blocking wedge, right? Because, I mean, we're going to get this guy to the end zone, baby. Oh, yeah. And uh, as soon as I turn around, a stinking freight train ran right over me. I mean, flat on my back. Like, you've never seen anybody fall so fast. And it was just a natural reaction. I said a word I shouldn't have said. But uh, immediately, immediately, I felt, I felt shameful. Like in the middle of a game, I'm busy doing something, and I felt shameful for a word that I had said, right? And then I also knew on top of that that my mom was sitting in the stands, and I just knew that over all of the crowd and everything, she heard what I said. Whether she did or not, I don't know, because she never said anything, but... The shame that, like, right in the middle of that game, I was busy doing something, and I just felt shameful. So I, why does that come so natural? You know, my parents didn't teach it to me. My parents don't cuss. They, they don't burst out in anger all the time, right? But why does, it, why does it come so natural? Why does sin come so natural sometimes? Why is it so easy? So I think about Romans 5.12. And Paul writes in Romans, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. And maybe not just physical death, but maybe death in life, right? So like dreams may die, things like that. So keep your mind open on that. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. What was Adam's sin? Anybody? This is a participation sport. Anybody know what Adam's sin was? Ate the fruit, right? But his actual sin was disobedience, right? Because God told him, don't eat the fruit of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Everything that Adam had, had experienced up to that point was good. Man, he lived in a, in a garden, beautiful garden, that God had created himself. God came down and specifically walked with Adam every day in relationship with Adam, right? But then sin entered the world. And what did it mean? It meant separation from God. God removed his spirit from Adam. God removed Adam out of the garden and blocked it off so Adam couldn't live in that luxury anymore, and that was a result of Adam's sin. But it didn't just stop with Adam, right? It extended through all of the generations. That sin had extended through all the generations, and why? Because Adam was the seed that God had planted on the earth for mankind, right? He planted Adam on the earth. He brought Eve from Adam, and he told them to go forth and multiply, or in other words, 
spread throughout the earth. He was the seed. And so when Adam did begin to multiply, we could have experienced one of two things. We could have experienced the, the goodness of the covenant and the blessings of God that came through Adam if he had obeyed, but then also if he disobeyed. We experienced that, the curse of sin and death, right, that comes from the sin, from his disobedience. But it doesn't stop there, right? So we read on Romans uh, 15 to 18. But there's great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Who's God's gracious gift? The gift of grace that comes through Jesus Christ, right? For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, or led to shame, or led to judgment. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, to being in right standing with God, to living in righteousness with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, in verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. In verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life to everyone. So where Adam's sin, Adam's disobedience brought sin and death and all of that into this nature of ours, through Christ's redemptive work on the cross, through Christ giving his life as a sacrifice to make recompense for our sin, what do we get as a result of that? We get redemption, right? So what did Christ's sacrifice mean? What does Christ or God's gift to man through Christ mean? It means that we get redemption to the right standing with God. Where we were right standing before and sin separated us from God, now through the gracious gift of Christ, we now stand in right relationship with God again, right? For those who have received Christ. And that's for all generations. It's for everyone. You know, it doesn't stop. It didn't stop with those people there that were standing at the base of the cross. You know, the soldiers that said, truly this was the Son of God. Maybe he repented later, right? Or the thief that was on the cross that said, you know, hey, when you get into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. It didn't stop with those people right there. It moved on through all generations. And it wouldn't, if it hadn't, we wouldn't be here today. So regardless of your sins, it's for all sin, for everyone. Regardless of your sin, redemption to the Father heart of God is available for you. It'd be nice if it kind of stopped right there, right? If it kind of paused. And in this fairy tale, this fairy tale thing we call life, this movie we call life, if it just kind of faded out for the rest of our lives after we give our heart to God, man, that'd be kind of nice. Just be like a fairy tale ending. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite work that way. 
you know. We still have to live in this world that's full of sinful nature that doesn't know Christ. We still have to operate in that world, and so we're ex still exposed to those things, right? How many of uh, you've come to church before? Or maybe it didn't even have to be a church. It could be in a coffee shop somewhere. You met somebody, and you had a real Jesus encounter. You know, Jesus... He was obviously working in your life. The Holy Spirit was working in your life. You felt him. And then you walk outside and, and the devil just attacks. You know? It happened. It's happened to me. The opportunity was provided just yesterday, as a matter of fact. I've been sitting here working on this message about God's grace and forgiveness and overcoming shame and condemnation. And I'm sitting behind a guy at a stoplight. Next thing I know, window comes down. Out flops a cigarette butt. I'm like, ooh, dear Lord, help me today. So in, in my sinful nature, in my nature, what did I want to do? That's a huge pet peeve of mine. I wanted to go, hey, buddy, that road looked like an ashtray to you. No, me neither. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But, but what did I do? I joked about it with my family. They'll vouch for that, you know. But I tried to show a little bit of self-restraint, self right? A little bit of patience. I tried to let the Holy Spirit work in my life and just drive on. And that's what I did. But the question I have is, how do you react when Satan attacks we don't always react that way, right? Sometimes we let a little bit of the flesh out, you know? Sometimes we do go, hey, buddy. You know, sometimes we do that. And if you do react that way, then what do you do? How do you feel when you react that way? Does the Holy Spirit begin to kind of get you right here? You know, and an immediate correction, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And then you, oh, yeah, you know, forgive me for that. And then move on. Or do you kind of just uh, kind of sit and stew in that, you know? I've been, I don't want to say guilty. I mean, I guess I could be guilty of following the Holy Spirit and just moving on when I do have you know, a little setback into the fleshly nature. We all do, right? But I've also been guilty of sitting in that shame. And that shame is not what Jesus has for you. That shame and condemnation is not what God has for you. If you have given your life to Jesus and accepted that right relationship with God through him, shame and condemnation is not what he has for you. And how, how, does, how does Satan attack? A lot of times for me, it's my patience, right? And when he attacks my patience, what would my natural response be? Anger, you know? Lashing out at whatever the situation is. Now, if I had been working yesterday, I might have flipped on some lights and had a chat with the young man, but it wouldn't have been, hey, buddy, that looked like an ashtray to you. It wouldn't have been with that attitude, you know. 
it would have been with, hey, sir, we have a law called littering. You can't do that here. And you especially can't litter with a cigarette butt because, and have an education moment, right? But even though the actions of that guy would have had a little bit of consequence for his disobedience of, in flicking that cigarette out there, sometimes our disobedience does have consequences. Hello? But there would have been some grace put on that as well in the way that I handled the situation. You know, sometimes our, situa- our, 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 our sin has consequences, but at the same time, while dealing with those consequences, we can experience the grace of God over that. You know, so, so what are some other ways that, uh, that Satan attacks? Maybe finances, right? Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of temptation there with our finances and we splurge a little bit and spend a little more than we're supposed to. And then what's the natural reaction to that? Probably fear, right? And in that fear, now we're experiencing some consequences and now there can, there's a window for shame to come in. Another way might be a temptation of maybe alcohol, maybe drug abuse, maybe some sex outside of marriage. And a lot of those really can be a source just like any other sin, but especially those because those are really out, there's really an outward appearance on those can be a source for shame. But it doesn't matter to God what the sin is because through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he's made recompense for all of our sin, no matter what it is. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in that condemnation that the world can a lot of times put on us because of our past sin or our present sin. Even sometimes they like to, the world would like to put condemnation on you for their sin. That's not something that we can take upon ourselves. In Romans 7, starting in verse 14, Paul talks about um, his own struggle with the sinful nature. A lot of times, you know, we look at Paul and it's like, man, this guy wrote Romans. This guy wrote Ephesians. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, we're studying that. Galatians. He wrote, he wrote letters to all of these churches, teaching them the way to God through Jesus Christ in grace. And yet in Romans 7, we see that he too, even in all of that, all of that good work and all of that good relationship that he was moving forward in through Jesus, even he struggled with sinful nature. He says in that passage, you should look it up and read it because I think you'll see yourself in there just like I saw myself in there. Man, I want to do these good things. I want to do what's good, but I don't do it. And on the other hand, I don't want to do what's bad, but I do it anyway. I want to do what's right, but instead of what's do, doing what's right, I do what's wrong. I don't want to do what's wrong, but instead I do what's, what's right. It's like his sinful nature and his spirit are in conflict with each other. I know I've experienced that. I've experienced that lately. 
Like Pastor Brandon said, a little over a year ago probably, or right about a year ago, I had already been going through a lot of, a lot of that struggle between the sinful nature and the, and the spirit, right? And I'd worked through a lot through the grace of Jesus, and I went to Brandon and, well, he told the rest of the story there. But I had to get over living in shame because of my past sin. That's something I've had to deal with and struggle through for a long time. And even still today, I'll catch myself slipping back towards that. But thankfully, as we mature and let the Holy Spirit mature us and work in us and push out a lot of that sinful nature, we kind of know where to go. You know, we know where to go. We can turn to Jesus and give it all to him, right? We're going to sin. Jesus knew that. He mentioned that. As a matter of fact, you're going to sin, but what you need to do is you need to get up and turn from that sin and repent and keep moving forward. Reading those, those verses, I can almost hear Paul beginning to let a little bit of that shame that he's dealt with bear through. You can almost see it there, right? But after letting loose, he uh, draws this conclusion. We go to Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's the conclusion. He goes on through chapter 8 to explain that over and over again to try to beat it into our brains a little bit, right? But So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So even though Paul follows the sinful nature sometimes, even though sometimes he lets the flesh out to do what the flesh does sometimes, even though sometimes he stumbles over sin, the grace of God through Jesus Christ overcomes all sin for everyone who will accept him. It gives us new life. It gives us a new nature. It gives us a new being. And the Holy Spirit working in you changes your heart. Reading of the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit work in you changes your mind. It literally begins to change your fleshful nature. So that now it's more easy to follow after the things of God. And it's easier to reject the things of the world. I know sometimes that we can get kind of caught up in the sin and in the name of the shame that's been put on us from the world, we can get caught up in that and be like, ah, you know, Jesus is calling you, God is calling you, you can feel it in your heart, you know it in your spirit that he's calling out to you, but, but look what I did over there. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he cares what you did over there, but it doesn't make a difference on how he feels about you. You know? He loves you. He wants nothing but the best for you. But sometimes in our own shame and condemnation, we withdraw from that.
So um, let's uh, take a minute, if you don't mind, let's take a minute and take a quick look at how Jesus handled a situation when some righteous people tried to bring a woman to him and condemn her because of her sin. Can we do that? It's in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple, probably going about his father's business. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Stood her up there, no doubt making a big deal about her sin, right? Whatever sin she had been caught in. It doesn't have to be adultery. It could have been drug abuse, drunkenness. It wouldn't matter. Not in this instance. All they wanted to do is bring somebody that they could condemn in front of Jesus and say, hey, what's going on? What are you going to do about this? And this happens sometimes. Today, this happens sometimes in current churches and modern churches and current religious groups, right? And if that has happened to you, first of all, I want to say I'm so sorry. And it is a miracle that you're even in this house today. But I also want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He has nothing but love for you and nothing but goodness in mind for you. And I love you, and this church loves you. This isn't the only church that works this way, but I have never experienced anything but grace that comes through Jesus through this church. So you, you're safe here. Let's go on with verse 4. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? So right there, you know, I mentioned earlier, sometimes shame and condemnation can be put on us through other people's sin, but also the enemy will try to attack you and distract you from your purpose in God through somebody else's sin. So verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger. There's a lot of speculation about what he wrote in the dust. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't give us that. But I would imagine it was something along the lines of maybe God sent his son into the world not to condemn it. But through the world... But through him, the world might be saved. Maybe. I don't know. I'm speculating too. So verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. What do you say, Jesus? This is the law of Moses. This is what we've been going by for all of these years. And it's served us well in their mind. So what do you say? It says to stone her. It says to kill this woman for the act of adultery. So what do you say? So he stood up again. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. 
And what happened? He stooped back down, started writing in the dust again. What do you think he was writing that time? We don't know. A lot of speculation is maybe he was writing the sins of all of her accusers in the dust. We don't know. But what we do know is that when the accusers heard this, verse 9, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, where are your accusers? Jordan, if you want to start making your way up, I'm almost done here. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Even just one? Would even one of them stand up to Jesus and the grace that he brings and stand there in the law of sin and death and accuse you of this sin that was clearly written against in the law, right? But would even one of them stand up and accuse you? No. And I think we can see that at that point, she had chosen in her heart that Jesus was her Lord in her response. Obviously, she was humble and in humility at that point. The, her life literally balanced right there in his hands. Said, no, Lord. And in that moment, Jesus forgave her of her sin. It is literally the embodiment of grace and mercy. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I shame you. I don't judge you. And as a matter of fact, it says in the Bible that rather than setting up in heaven now and judging us and putting condemnation on us and putting shame on us, he is there pleading at the right hand of the Father for us for redemption for salvation for freedom he's standing there pleading for us in this very moment he's pleading for you there's a lot of things going on there but first I want to bring a couple things to your attention and I even mentioned them earlier first the trap Jesus was going about his father's business he was speaking life into a multitude of people, a crowd of people. And Satan wanted to interrupt it. So he couldn't use Jesus' sin to interrupt it because Jesus had no sin. Just like when you're going about the Father's business, he can't use sin to interrupt it if you're confident in the salvation that comes through Christ. But he could use somebody else's. when you begin making the most progress and uh, the most forward movement toward a more um, consistent walk with God, Satan will do anything he can to stop it. Because he knows when you grasp a hold of the concept that the grace that comes through Christ 
is more powerful than any sin you could ever commit. There's nothing he can do to destroy you. So he has to try to distract you and discourage you so that you would just give up. And second, the accusers, the, con the condemners. What happened? What happened to them? They were so exuberant. Jesus, this woman is an adulterer. And the law of Moses says, you must stone her. So what do you say? <laughs> but what happened when Jesus began to speak? What happened when Jesus began to speak to her sin? And really, he didn't speak to her sin in that moment. He just stood up and said, okay, all right, take your word for it. And he knew she probably had sinned. She probably had committed adultery. But what was his answer? If you're so perfect, go ahead and throw a stone. And what, what happened to the accusers? What happened to the condemners? There was no grand Oh, yeah, next time, Jesus. Yeah, we're going to get you. No. They slipped away. So where they were trying to bring shame and condemnation on this woman, now that the grace of Jesus is beginning to envelop her, they walked away in their own shame. And lastly, as I already alluded to, it appears she had already decided to submit her life to Jesus. We see that when she responds to him, she says, no, Lord, it's a sign of submission. And how does Jesus respond to her? Neither do I condemn you. I don't put any shame on you. I don't judge you. And the go and sin no more. I have to look into that a little bit and I kind of I kind of have to think that he also meant your sin is forgiven. Now go and do better to not sin further. It can be hard to overcome our shame and our condemnation that the world puts on us and it comes from so many angles. The world is so good at putting shame and condemnation and sometimes you don't even do anything wrong. And then it comes. It comes against you. And it doesn't matter. It could be past sin. It could be present sin. And again, it could not even be your sin. But the condemnation that the world can bring, that Satan can bring, that the devil can bring against you, if you're not confident in your salvation through grace and your right standing with God through grace it can be overwhelming and it can seem like it's impossible to get through that on your own and it seems that way because it is if for instance so much grace here but for instance if you're dealing with some addiction problems right now you got into those addiction problems right operating in your sinful nature. So how in your own sinful nature could you ever get out of it? It's impossible. Or maybe there's some, maybe there's some sex outside of marriage going on. 
and you got into that in your sinful nature and following after that sinful nature and trying to please that sinful nature in that hole in your heart that only God can fill. And it's impossible to get out of that on your own. But there's one whose power can break any chain. His love can heal any broken heart. His grace is greater than any sin and his kindness is more powerful than any shame. And his name is Jesus. And he's calling to you and to me today. And so I gotta ask, how would you respond to him? How would you respond to Jesus' call today to take you out of that position of shame or condemnation and elevate you into new life? A new mind that's renewed by him, that's renewed by his word of life and truth. How would you respond to him today? If everyone would, would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Maybe, uh, maybe some of this hit home a little bit today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not confident You're not confident that you have submitted your life to Jesus. You're not confident that you've invited him to be Lord over your life. You're not confident that you've committed to trust in him, to follow his ways, to live life with him. And then on the other hand, maybe you have made that commitment. Maybe you have committed to trust in, commit to and follow Jesus but maybe there's some things for your past. Maybe sometimes the flesh comes up and maybe sometimes you slip into that sinful nature even just for a moment, but then it opens the door for shame and condemnation to begin to rule over your heart and mind. And I just wanna encourage you today that the answer for all of that is Jesus. So Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the gift of grace. The gift of grace that covers every sin. The gift of grace that is available to everyone. The gift of grace that covers and pushes out any shame or condemnation. I just want to thank you so much that you would see fit to give that gift to us to provide that gift of your son as a sacrifice for the death that I should have paid and that I no longer have to pay because of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts, come into our lives and do the work that we couldn't do on our own. Would you show us Show us the sinful nature that we need to begin to release and submit to Jesus. And we do that now, we lift it up to you. Jesus, we submit to you. We commit to follow you. You are the Lord of my life. 
I trust in you for my salvation and I commit to you to follow your ways. And I commit to go into the world and make disciples just like you commanded us to do. And if you prayed that prayer today, your sin is washed clean. And you have new life through Jesus Christ. It may not, may not be apparent in every part of your life now, but as you submit to him and as you begin to get into his word and as you be begin to let his word get into you, it will become more evident and freedom through Jesus Christ will be just about all anybody sees in you. So Father, through your grace and in your Holy Spirit, would you minister freedom from shame and condemnation? Would you minister new life into this congregation today, here in this house and online, anybody that hears this, Father? Would you bring encouragement into their life, whether it be through your word or through the word that's ministered through someone else, bring encouragement into their life. Father, bring mentors into their lives that would help guide them along the way into a closer and meaningful relationship with you as we submit to you. And in your name we pray, amen.